Yes, following on in the book of Acts, um, <clears throat> Acts 15 <coughs> to Acts 16, verse 5. Um, everyone found it on page 1576 in the Pew Bibles. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not <coughs> continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barabbas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left commanded by the believers to, to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconia spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they travelled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in, faith, in the faith and grew daily in number. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks very much, Lynn. Morning, all. Well, if you ever want to see me at peak anxiety, um, put me behind the wheel of a hire car. Um, my wife Kyle and I discovered this on our first holiday together. Uh, we flew up to Ballina, we hired a car, a little sedan, cheap, cheerful, and in the process of uh, collecting the car, I read the fine print. Uh, that endless conditions attached to hiring this little sedan just for a few days, the thousands of dollars in insurance we'd be up for if anything went wrong. And so we decided not to do much driving. Um, but during the holiday, we had a tip about a place worth checking out. On the map, it was just a few k's away, all sealed, no problems. We were assured the destination would be totally worth it. And so we headed off. Along the way, the road went from Two lanes to one, then to dirt, then to gravel, then to fist-sized boulders scattered across what used to be a road. I don't think I've ever gripped the steering wheel as tightly or prayed as much while we were driving on that journey. But here's the thing. We were still on the right track. It still got us to the destination, but it definitely wasn't the smooth, sealed road that we expected. At the point we're at in the book of Acts, the destination is clear. God's gospel of salvation is going to the ends of the earth. And based on last week, it looks like gospel progress should be smooth. Because in chapter 15, we've seen a great moment of gospel unity. The apostles and elders in Jerusalem could see that God offered salvation to people, Jews and Gentiles, in the same way. Salvation came to Jews and Gentiles through faith 
in Jesus alone. And it was a big moment. This was a big decision. And at the start of today's passage, Paul and Barnabas are planning their journey from Antioch to to share this decision with the churches that they'd set up. Uh, This is what we read in chapter 15, verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Sounds simple, right? But this verse is where smooth gospel progress ends. Because in the rest of the passage, we see the rough reality. And this reality of gospel progress, it's meant to shape our expectations. The destination doesn't change. It stays clear. But the journey isn't always smooth. Our expectations about the journey are shaped in three ways. First, within our gospel unity, we can expect differences of opinion about people. Second, we can expect differences of opinion about practices. And third, we can expect gospel progress to come through these differences. So people, practices, progress. That's where we're headed today. So first, we can expect differences of opinion within our gospel unity, differences about the people who we partner with in gospel ministry. Now look at me at verse 36 again, but this time we'll keep going. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. And within gospel unity, within this plan to revisit churches, we see a difference of opinion between Paul and Barnabas. Now, the difference of opinion is about who they're going to take with them, whether they should take John Mark or not. And you'd be forgiven at this point for asking, well, who is John Mark? Um, He's been um, the most background and background characters in Acts so far. He's like an unmarked police car. You probably didn't even notice him. We were told about John Mark uh, that he went from Jerusalem to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, and he started with them on their first missionary journey. Uh, Luke tells us that John Mark helped them during their time on the island of Cyprus. But when they sailed back to the mainland, John Mark left them, went back to Jerusalem. And what we, when we read it in Acts chapter 13, verse 13, it, it was a blink-and-you-miss-it kind of thing. Mark's there, and then he's gone, and we moved on fairly quickly. But now we see that John Mark returning home was an issue, and it led to a difference of opinion between Paul and Barnabas about whether he should join them now. And Barnabas thought it was okay for John Mark to come, maybe because John Mark was his cousin, we're told in Colossians, uh, maybe because Barnabas is an encouraging bloke. He was known as the son of encouragement earlier in Acts, so maybe that makes him more forgiving, more understanding. Maybe he thought it would give John Mark a chance to finish what he started. But for Paul, taking John Mark was not happening. John Mark had deserted them. He hadn't continued with them in the work. Even though John Mark had been with them, had helped them, Paul didn't think it was wise to take him again. Maybe he was concerned about John Mark's commitment or his character. Uh, the confidence that hit that he and his companions would go through if John Mark did the same thing again, ran home to Jerusalem. The way that the writer Luke presents this decision about John Mark, it's not as a right or a wrong one, though. 
Uh, usually we like to think about decisions in terms of right and wrong. Right and wrong is easier. It's neater. It feels better. Uh, we got a right and wrong answer earlier in chapter 15 with the Jerusalem decision about salvation of Jews and Gentiles. But here, we don't get three speeches and a letter. We get two verses and an ongoing difference of opinion. There isn't a clear answer. Barnabas thought it was wise to take John Mark. Paul thought it was wise to leave John Mark behind. And two men, united by the gospel, think differently about it. They land in different places. They express different opinions and they live them out. Now, this difference of opinion changes things dramatically between Paul and Barnabas. And it's a shock how serious it becomes. Because Paul and Barnabas, they were the original mission partners. They were best friends forever. Uh, This is what the the soft-focused montage would look like. Um, Paul came to Jerusalem as a new believer, but he couldn't come to church because everyone was afraid of him. And then Barnabas shows up. They They wouldn't believe that Paul had become a follower of Jesus, but Barnabas had his back. Barnabas stood up for Paul and spoke the truth about God's work in Paul's life so he could be accepted there. And since then, Paul and Barnabas have been inseparable. They started out teaching and encouraging Jewish and Gentile believers in Antioch. They did that for a whole year. And they went to Jerusalem together with financial support from Antioch. And they returned to Antioch and were sent out on the mission trip to proclaim Jesus in the surrounding regions. They did that together. And when the faith of their Gentile brothers and sisters was called into question, Paul and Barnabas went to Jerusalem together to sort it out. But now we see this difference of opinion. This difference of opinion about John Mark can't be resolved. And the great gospel partnership ends right here as Paul and Barnabas choose to go in different directions. Can you imagine what that would be like to go through? Have you experienced that kind of loss, that depth of difference? Having a difference of opinion change things so quickly. Having this kind of relation, relational breakdown with a brother or sister in Christ, it's painful. Now, it's not the end of the world. In the case of Paul and Barnabas, we can be reassured that they're still doing this within gospel unity. They're still proclaiming Jesus. They're still partnering with God in what he's doing. But it's still a rougher experience than we might have expected between Christian leaders. It would have been so easy for Luke to leave this bit out, to keep up the picture of the smooth journey of gospel progress. But Luke includes it. He records it. He shows us reality. Luke includes what we see here to shape our expectations, to show us that this is what can happen within gospel unity. We might have differences of opinion about about people, about one another. And those opinions, they're not static, they're they're live. They're informed by our relationships. They're influenced by our experience of life together with one another. And sometimes those opinions will help us to partner together in the progress of the gospel. And sometimes our opinions about one another will make partnering together harder. We'll hit rough patches with one another. We might even reach the point of sharp disagreement. We need God's help at these times. We need his help to remain humble and to assess what's going on in our own hearts. We need his help to understand as clearly as possible the difference that we're dealing with. 
And we need his help so we can make a wise decision about the future of our partnership, whether that decision will lead to relational peace or relational pain. That's our first point. We can expect differences of opinion about people as we live out our gospel unity. Um, Second, as well as differences about people, we also see differences of opinion about practice. Our differences in living out the gospel in the here and now. Um, This is what we see in chapter 16, verse 1. (coughs) Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him. I want to pause there. We might be wondering what's going on here. Um, Because we spent a little bit of time last week thinking about circumcision, about the practice of circumcision. We were thinking about circumcision because it was the physical ritual that Gentiles allegedly needed to go through to be saved. But then the council in Jerusalem was very clear. They recognised that God saved people not through circumcision, but through faith in Jesus. Circumcision wasn't needed. In chapter 15, verse 11, the Jewish apostle Peter put it this way. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we, Jews, are saved, just as they, Gentiles, are. And so circumcision isn't needed for Gentiles or for Jews to be saved, which means this disciple Timothy doesn't need to be circumcised to be saved either. So why does Paul do it? Well, for adult male Timothy's sake, this better be a good reason, right? Well, we're told the re- why in the rest of verse 3. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. And Paul doesn't circumcise Timothy because he needs it to be saved. He does it for the sake of reaching the Jews. Now, since Timothy had a Jewish mother, he should have been circumcised eight days after birth. And we don't know exactly why Timothy wasn't. It probably had something to do with his Greek father. Now, whatever the reason, being uncircumcised had given Timothy a reputation. He was known in Jewish circles as a failed Jew. And here's the issue. If Paul took famously uncircumcised Timothy with him, it could have made it harder for Jews to become believers. We can see where this might have happened. Uh, The message that Paul was carrying with him from Jerusalem was that Gentiles didn't have to become Jews to be saved. And Paul's dead against Gentiles being circumcised for this reason. He writes strongly in his letters about this. I mean, in Galatians, Paul wouldn't let Titus the Gentile be circumcised, even though he was compelled by others to do it. But then, by choosing uncircumcised Jewish Timothy as a gospel partner, Paul could have given the Jews the opposite impression. It might have looked like Paul chose Timothy to make a point to suggest that Jews had to somehow become Gentiles to become believers, that only the uncircumcised could be saved, and that being physically or culturally Jewish was a barrier to becoming a believer in Jesus. Now, I won't ask the doctors among us the difficulty of reversing a circumcision, but we can see that the the problem here, that that uncircumcised Jewish Timothy might have created, can't we? And so what does Paul do? Well, when it comes to Timothy and circumcision, Paul's practice is different from what he did with Titus. Paul circumcises Timothy to make it clear that 
Jews don't need to become Gentiles to be saved. Salvation is not about circumcision for Jews or for Gentiles. Salvation for anyone comes through grace alone, through faith in Jesus alone. And just like with the differences of opinion about people, it it seems an odd choice for Paul to include a difference in practice here. And we've got the high point of gospel unity at the Jerusalem Council, a unity that was based on not needing to be circumcised to be saved. And then we have this circumcision. But these events happening in this order matters. Luke is showing us here what difference within gospel unity looks like. God has been clear about the way of salvation through faith in Jesus, so nothing about the gospel is up for grabs. There's only one way to be saved, through faith in Jesus Christ. But within our gospel unity, there will be differences of opinion about people, take John Mark or don't take John Mark, or about practice, circumcision or not circumcision. And for those who are in Christ, within that unity of salvation through faith in Christ, there's freedom, there's flexibility, there's difference. But there's also the need for wisdom and discernment, for careful consideration of how we live out our Christian freedom within our context. Because we want our freedom to be informed by the gospel. We don't want our freedom to, to compromise our gospel message or confuse our gospel hearers to think that salvation comes from something else, another person, another practice. If we were meant to go through the Christian life as individuals with this freedom, the journey would be much smoother though, wouldn't it? We'd be able to have our unique package of ideas about every aspect of life and ministry, and they'd be fine. But what happens when we live out our freedom in our life together as a church? It's a little bit rougher, isn't it? There are many areas of life where the Bible's clear, but there's even more areas that the Bible doesn't talk heaps about. And we can be Christians who read and obey God's word, who seek God's wisdom, but we can come to different conclusions about heaps of things. We can be on the same page, completely unified about the gospel, but have different opinions about practices. We'll come to different conclusions about what it will look like for us to proclaim the gospel here and now, about what will help and what will hinder our gospel proclamation. We'll have different ideas about uh, leaders and ministries and strategies. We'll have different ideas about mission, about who we should reach and how. We'll have different ideas about how services should work, about what we should say or sing or do when we gather together. And as we go through the Christian life, we'll continue to see differences between us in our ideas about practice. Sometimes these differences can change how we partner with one another. And when these differences affect our partnership, when they become bigger than our gospel unity, that's going to be painful. Maybe not circumcision painful, but relationally painful and missionally painful. That's why we need to pray for our leaders, right? We need wise leaders over us. Why our leaders, me included, need our constant prayers. So we need leaders who are aware that we see things differently. And who will listen to those differences? But we also need those same leaders to make decisions, knowing the place of difference within gospel unity. We need leaders who will make decisions that won't satisfy everyone, but whose decisions will help us make progress in glorifying God by growing in Christ and making him known and doing that together. This prayerfulness for our church, for our leaders, comes 
as we see the reality about our differences of opinion, about practice, as we see that the church at times isn't one big happy family, or more like a normal family with ups and downs, rough patches and smooth, a family that relies on God to help us live out our gospel unity together. So far, we've had our expectations about the journey of gospel progress shaped in two ways. Seen the difference of opinion about people and about practice within our gospel unity, and the journey might be rougher than we thought. And as we come to see the roughness of the journey, we might be thinking, well, why bother? Why bother being part of a church where people think differently than I do? Why bother being part of a church at all? And the answer comes in our third point. Because gospel progress isn't stopped by our differences of opinion. God brings about gospel progress even through and despite these differences. Look with me at uh, chapter 16, verse 4, the last couple of verses of our passage. Uh, As they, as Paul and Silas, travelled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. This is gospel progress, right? Believers strengthened in the faith, more confident of their salvation through Jesus, and more people coming to faith, hearing, believing, receiving salvation through faith in Jesus. But how has this gospel progress come about? Well, God has been building and growing his church despite the rough journey that we've seen, despite differences of opinion about John Mark, despite the end of significant gospel partnership, despite a different take on the practice of circumcision. But God doesn't just work in spite of these differences. God even uses these differences to bring about gospel progress. I come back with me to chapter 15, verse 39, back to, back to 39. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, what we see here is that the plan of Paul and Barnabas at the start of our passage is being carried out. But now it's with two teams instead of one, with five people instead of two. Barnabas went with John Mark back to Cyprus to strengthen the churches they'd set up at the beginning of their first mission. And Paul started a new team to visit and strengthen the rest of the churches they'd set up in Syria. He invited Silas from Jerusalem to join him. (coughs) And Silas was a man who he'd seen strengthening the believers in Antioch in the last passage. And on his return to Lystra, Paul also recruited Timothy. Now, how were these teams formed? How were these men recruited? How did this gospel progress come? It came as God worked through the differences and difficulties and divisions that we've been shown in this passage. God working through differences and difficulties and divisions isn't something unique to to this time and this place. It's what we've continued to see. (coughs) Excuse me. Uh, It's what we've continued to see beyond this passage. Uh, Gospel progress is what we see in the rest of Acts, in the early church, and in the history of the church from then until now. And it would be hard to summarise any part of church history then or now as smooth. But through all these centuries, gospel progress has happened. And God has brought gospel progress about even through differences between his people. 
difficulties and divisions. And in the past year here at church, we've seen gospel progress happen as well. Continue to see one another strengthened in the faith. We continue to see people made more confident about our salvation in Jesus. And we've seen God's church here grow as more people have come to faith, hearing, believing and receiving salvation through faith in Jesus. And this progress hasn't happened because everything is smooth or because we agree about everything or because everyone who thinks differently has gone. Gospel progress comes here and now as God works, as God achieves his purposes through and despite the differences and difficulties and divisions among his people. Of course we would prefer unity. Of course we want unity in the gospel and in other areas. But God works even when those things aren't as, they, as we'd like them to be. The theologian Trevon Wax puts it this way, what gives me hope is the sovereignty of God. The Lord can and does work in and through human conflict, repurposing even our flaws and failures for his greater plan. Acknowledging God's sovereignty doesn't excuse sin or minimise selfishness, of course, but it does give us confidence our hard-headedness won't thwart God's mission. We may botch a lot of things in life, but God's ultimate plan isn't one of them. Now, like the rest of Acts, this passage isn't prescriptive. It's not encouraging us to divide over things. It's not telling us to circumcise everyone named Timothy. We're not meant to copy what we see here. But what we have seen in this passage is the reality of our life together. The destination is clear. God's gospel of salvation is going to the ends of the earth. But the journey won't always be smooth. There are times when it will be rough. There'll be differences of opinion within our gospel unity, differences of opinion about people and about practices, differences of opinion that could cause pain, which could lead to parting ways. And this is hard to hear and hard to go through. But knowing the differences within our gospel unity is a help to us because it shapes our expectations as we join together in gospel partnership. And it assures us that God is bringing about gospel progress no matter how rough the journey is. Now, before we sing, uh, we're actually going to stand and express the truths that unite us, our truths about who God is and what he's done for us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So let me invite you to stand and we'll say together the Nicene Creed together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father, through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. He was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and became truly human. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven. <coughs> He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. 
and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, universal and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.